All right, good morning, familia. My name is James, James Bond. Not true. I'm actually the Latino version of James Bond. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors here, and um, some people say that I look like James Bond. That's all I'm saying. For the last few weeks, we have been going through a series based on one chapter of the Bible called, um, one chapter of the Bible, Hebrews 11, and we have called this series By Faith. And basically what we're doing is we are going um, through a list of names found in that chapter that gives us an explanation of what it means to live by faith from a Christian perspective. Uh, and today we're going to be looking into the life of Moses, uh, and Moses is going to teach us what it means to live by faith. Can I go back here a second? Well, you know what, let's do, let's do something. Can you please stand? Today we're going to be reading from Moses, uh, from Moses, from Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we're going to be reading verse 1, and then we're going to jump to verse 23, and we're going to read all the way to verse 27. Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 11, goodness sake. Must be the spring break. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and then we're going to read verses 23 to 27. If you are here, please say amen. amen. Hebrews verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born... Because they saw that he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he, had, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 26. He regarded this grace for the sake of Christ as a great value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt. Not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Lord, I, I pray that you speak to us this morning. As always, Lord, I want to start by recognizing that this is your word. It's not word invented by men. Or created by man, it is your word. I pray, Lord, that you use it to speak into our hearts. To teach us, Lord, what it means to live the Christian faith. And to convince us if there's anything that we need to surrender to you. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, you may be seated. Now, today we're talking about Moses and the life of faith. Now, let me, uh, uh, because... Every time I preach uh, through this series, I ask the same question. Um, how many of you guys know the story of Moses? Please raise your hand. All right. See, that's not good. Uh, because the, the assumption is that you already know what I'm going to talk about. That's the problem. So what I want you to do is to ignore what you already know about Moses to see if there's anything I could teach you that maybe you knew but you probably ignored 
And what I want to tell you today is that the story of Moses, um, at least from the Hebrews' perspective, has to do with two things. So these are my two points for today. We're going to talk about the relationship, a relationship between faith and fear. And we're going to talk about the relationship between faith and choice. And how these two things are connected to one another. So first, we're going to talk about the connection of the relationship between faith and fear. And second, we're going to talk about the connection between faith and choice. So let's talk about the first one here, faith and fear. Um, because this is one of those, those things that, that I think is, is one of those topics that I think that are very important for us to talk about. And the reason why I say that is because every single one of us here experience fear. Like every day. Is there anyone here who is not experiencing fear every day? Now, it doesn't mean that you're a miserable person, and it doesn't mean that you, um, yeah, it doesn't mean that you're a miserable person. It's just, that's just the reality of life. We fear the good things, and we fear the bad things. Let me give you some examples. I think that some of us here fear um, safety. Uh, we, we fear if we're going to be safe and if our loved, loved ones will be safe. We are afraid of if we're going to die or not die. We are afraid if, uh, of what is going to happen after we die. We are, we are afraid of living a, a meaningless life. We are afraid of falling in love. Because if we fall in love, there's a high probability that we're going to get hurt. We are people that experience fear every day, at all times, all the time. That's just part of life. That's what it means to be a human being. Um, and I think that the author of the book of Hebrews knows that. And I think that the author of the book of Hebrews knows that his original audience, fear is one of those things that they experience every day. So I want to start by giving you a little bit of context here, and I've, and I've said this before. I know that Will didn't say it last week, so just in case you were, um, you were not here the last time I preached here. But the idea is this, that if you really want to understand why is it that God included, why is it that God included Moses in the list of people mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, is because Moses could be an example and has many things to teach the people in Hebrews Chapter 11. So the context of the letter is like this. This is a group of people that since the very moment they decided to place their faith in Jesus Christ, everything started to go wrong. Since the very moment these people decided to follow Jesus, everything started to go wrong. They're being persecuted because of their faith. They are being rejected because of their faith. They're losing their, their properties because of their faith. They are being imprisoned because of their faith. Some of them are being executed because of their faith. The persecution for this group of people is so and so intense that many of them are being tempted to walk away from faith or even questioning if following Jesus was the best decision. That's the context of the letter. 
How many of you guys can actually relate to this group of people? Please raise your hand. How many of you guys cannot relate to this group of people at all? Yeah, there's a problem here. Because only like five people raised their hand. And I know it's, a, I know it's a spring break. You guys are going to have to help me here. How many of you guys have ever experienced fear like that somehow? Please raise your hand. There you go, like five more. Good. This is the thing. This is part of what it means to be a Christian too. Fear is, is so normal for humanity because it's also part of what it means to be a Christian. And the, book of, uh, and the author of the book of Hebrews knows that. And he knows that this group of people, fear is part of their life. So what he wants to do is to give this group of suffering, questioning Christians something to cling to. Something that he wants to give them something so they could cope with the reality of suffering. With the reality of fear. And that's why he uses Moses as an example. Actually, as you're going to see in a second, the author not only uses Moses, but he uses Moses' parents. And that's where we start in the text in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. Look at what it says. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he, was, after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, this is really interesting, and I have to give you, once again, a little bit of context if, if you remember this story. This event takes place um, in the first chapters of the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible in the, New Test in the Old Testament. And if you remember, well, this event takes place after Joseph, which is the sermon that we'll preach last week. And if you remember, uh, this is a new king coming into town. And this king didn't know anything about Joseph. And he didn't know anything about the Hebrews or the Israelites. And he actually, and the Israelites are growing in number. This is a group of immigrants growing in number in Egypt to the point that the king started to get afraid that this group of immigrants will take over their country. Listen, I don't know if you ever heard that before, but I have heard that before. I'm not being political, I'm just saying. So he decided to do something. He decided that the best way to get rid of these unwanted people was to kill the male babies so they stopped growing. Super interesting. So he demanded from the midwives, we happen to be also Hebrew ladies, that every time they would see a male baby being born, they, they were to throw that baby into the water, into the river. But this is Moses' parents. They know what it means to go against the king. They know what it means to be rejected by the king. They know what it means to be hated by the king. And they know what it means to, what will be the consequences of going against the king. But the text tells us that even though they knew that this was real, they were not afraid of the king and they decided to save their baby. They were not controlled by the fear of men. Let me say that again. They were not controlled by the fear of men. And I will explain that a little bit better later on. Now, this is what is super interesting. That if you keep reading, if you keep on with the story, you realize that Moses, 
40 years later, would have the same behavior that the parents had. And this is verse 27. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He, preserved because, uh, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. And this is really interesting because you could see that sometimes, actually many times, our kids imitate not so much, do not so much what we say, but our kids do what we show them. This is super interesting. So if, you, if, if you're a parent, that's free. That's not even part of the sermon. Your kids will do not so much the things that you say they ought to do. They will follow your example. Now, most scholars would argue that this verse right here is covering 40 years of history. Meaning that by the time um, Moses left Egypt, he was about 40 already. And God sent them and allowed him to go into the desert in which he lived there for another 40 years. So by now, Moses is 80 years old. And he stops being the Pharaoh's grandchild to become a shepherd. Which in that time and in that context, that's a second class citizen. Something that is not worthy of having around. And during that time in the desert, he has this encounter with God. In which God called him to go back to Egypt to become the liberator of the Israelites or the Hebrews. It's really interesting. Because he does it. I mean, who does that? And the question we got to ask is, why did he do it? Why was he willing to risk his life after he had run away from there 40 years before? Well, the text tells you. Because he was not afraid of the king's anger. See, Moses, just like his parents, was not controlled by the fear of men. He was not controlled by the fear of men. No, here, here I, I need to pause for a while. Because I need you to see something that is implied in the text that you cannot miss. Number one, two things. Number one is that the author of the book of Hebrews is not using Moses and Moses' parents as, as examples of something that we ought to do. I, I need you to get that right. He is not talking to these suffering, full of fear people and saying, you see, Moses was not afraid. Moses' parents were not afraid. Don't be afraid. Which is interesting because that's what I hear sometimes we do. Let me tell you what, that's, that couldn't be what he means. Because fear is an emotion. Can you control your emotions? How do you do that? I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to fear. I'm, that doesn't work that way. You don't have power over your emotions. Your emotions come to you. That's it. You don't have power over what you feel. When you feel fear, that fear is real. So if that's what the author of Hebrews is telling the suffering and fearing Christians, then this author will be, the, the author of the book of Hebrews will be like the worst pastor ever. Let me tell you why. Because if that's the advice, don't fear I'm so afraid. 
don't worry, don't fear. If that's what he's saying, then he, he's either a humanist, in which he's telling these people, you could do it, don't fear. Or he's a moralist, this is what good people do, don't fear. Or he's a legalist, if you want God to save you, don't fear. Which none of those three things is Christianity. None of those three things has to do anything with the Bible. Therefore, that's not what he's trying to teach them. And there's a second thing that I, I want you to see that you cannot ignore. That the author of the book of Hebrews is not undermining fear. He acknowledges that this is what they go through. And he acknowledges that this is what we go through. Actually, you could see in the text the implication that Moses and Moses' parents were also afraid. The difference, though, is that they were not controlled by the fear of men. So we got to ask the questions to the text. What is it that they had that the audience in the book of Hebrews needed? What is it that Moses and Moses' parents had that we need today to deal with our fears? And it all comes down to this word. What the word fear means in the original text. That's why it's so important that we study the Bible. The word fear there is where we get the word phobia. In the original is the word phobeo. That's, I'm just trying to impress you, but keep that in mind. And the word phobeo has two meanings, always, all the time. Number one is this feeling of fear. But the second definition has to do with reverence and respect. And in this single word, in this word alone, you understand how, what is it that Moses' parents had and what is it that Moses had in order to, for them to conquer the fear of men. And this is the idea, that they feared something more. That they had a greater fear for something else. That he had a greater reverence for something else. That they respected something much more. And the idea here is that the only way any of us stop being controlled by the fear of men is when we are controlled by a greater fear, a greater reverence, a greater respect. And that respect has to be God. That reverence must be God. The only way you overcome the fear of men is when you fear God much more. And that's exactly what we see with Moses. Actually, it's exactly what we see first with Moses' parents. Look at here. It says that the reason why they saved the baby and went against the king is because they noticed that this baby was special. Now, listen, this is not special like you see your kids special. That, oh, well, he's so special. No, no, that's not what he means. They knew somehow these parents knew somehow that God had a plan for this baby. They knew somehow that God was going to take care of this baby. They knew somehow that God was in control of this baby. They knew somehow that God would work with this baby and do everything providentially for the sake of this baby. They knew that God had a plan and that plan always goes through. And you know this story. You know what they did, which is so ironic. 
Because the king told, the, king, uh, the, king, the king's demand was for people to throw the baby into the water. Remember that? And the parents did. They just happened to put him in a basket before they did. Now, this is the irony. This is how you know that God is in control at all times. They put the baby in a basket, and in God's sovereignty, because he's in control, and because God works providentially, he puts everything in order, this baby, look at the irony here. This baby was taken into the Pharaoh's house. The future liberator of the Hebrews grew up in the king's house. He was trained by the king's people, protected and adopted by the king's daughter. And this is what his parents saw. See, the only way you overcome the fear of man is when you fear God much more. Every time we surrender to the fear of man is because we don't surrender to the fear of God more. That was Moses' parents, and this is also Moses. The reason why he did what he did is because he saw the one that is invisible. You know, his focus was completely different. His focus was not the circumstances. His focus was not the problems. His focus was not the desert. His focus was not hungry. Hungry. His focus was not that he was living alone for 40 years somewhere lost in space. His focus was God, the invisible one. He fixed his spiritual eyes on the invisible one. His mind, his heart, his emotions, his affections were bound to the invisible one. That's how you overcome fear. Actually, if you read Exodus chapter 3, which is an amazing chapter, it tells you um, what actually uh, Moses learned about God before going back into Egypt. That's an amazing chapter. So whenever you get the chance, please read it. Because when he's in the desert, he has this encounter with God. And this is the part when God tells him that he is who he is. I am who I, I, am, who I am. And in that encounter, he learned two things about God. Number one, he learned God's character. Once again, please read it when you go home. Don't read it now. Pay attention. But later on, he learned in that encounter, he learned, listen to this, that God rescues, that God protects, that God defends, that God cares, that God hears the voice of the afflicted, that God is not indifferent, that God is not absent, that even though sometimes we don't get to hear him, God never stops listening. That was his focus. That's why he did what he did. And the second thing Moses learned in that encounter is that he didn't, he didn't have the privilege of create a God, or, or he didn't have the privilege to create the God he wanted to create. And to be honest, I think that that's part of our problem. I think that part of our problem is that sometimes we fear men because the God that we have in our head doesn't match our expectations. That's a problem. So one of the, um, one of the persons that we have been uh, using to prepare for this series, and I know that Rob have, has quoted her before. It's Nancy Guthrie, which in my opinion is one of my favorite female Bible teachers there is. 
So I recommend you read her. But this is what she says about this encounter. When God says, I am who I am, he puts an end to our inflated view, to the inflated view of ourselves. He also does away with our notion that God can be whoever we want him to be. God did not say, I am who you want me to be. That's a good sentence. God is not a person, and God is a person, and we cannot shape him into the God who suits our ideas of what God should be. Instead, he ignores our personal preferences and says, I am who I am. Does this sound like a God who does this sound like a God that you can assign to be your co-pilot? You have no, let me pause there. You have no idea how many times I've heard people saying that God is your co-pilot. What a foolish thing to say. God is no co-pilot. He's the pilot. And you're sitting all the way back there. And God, and, and, God, and he's not a God that you could put in your pocket like a lucky charm. You know, he's the one that you get out when you need him. We discover that I am who I am. When we discover that I am who I am, we realize that there are things that we don't like about him. There are things that don't sit well with our preconceived notions or political correct ideas. But he is real. And we must submit to him as he truly is. That's what Moses learned. That was the focus of his attention. That was what his spiritual eyes saw. And that's why he decided to go back to confront his fear because fear, toxic fears, uh, are only overcome when we fear God more than anything else. You got to remember that. That's what these people needed to hear. It's almost like the author of the book of Hebrews is telling this group of suffering, fearing Christians something like, listen, I, I know that you're going through rough times. And I know that you are afraid. And I know that the danger is real. And I know that everything could go, could go wrong for you. But please, please look at Moses and fear what he feared. Let his focus be your focus. Do not allow your emotions to control you. Fear God. Admire him. Have reverence for him. Submit to him. So the question for us today is this. Can we do that? Can we actually go against our emotions of fear? Can we fear God more than anything else? I think we can. Not perfect and not without sin and not without struggles, but we can. Because everything starts with one word. Choice. Is when we choose God before anything else. Is when we choose God before our emotions. Is when we choose to follow Him. Is when we choose to love Him. It's not about emotions, it's about choosing. And once again, this is what we see in Moses. So this is verse 24. By faith, Moses. 
when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. And we see it again in verse 25. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God. This is really important, people. Moses had an option. He had to choose between being the Pharaoh's daughter's son and be mistreated along with God's people. That was a choice. He had to choose between comfort and security and luxury in the Pharaoh's house and the discomfort and insecurity of God's people. He had to choose between a position of power and admiration and becoming a shepherd living in the desert for 40 years. That was a choice. It's always about choosing. It's always about you choosing God before everything else, not about emotions. And we see the same thing in verse 20, uh, at the end of verse 25. He had to choose between God and the fleeting pleasures of sin. That was all a choice. Notice that, that the text doesn't say that he was not tempted. The text doesn't say that. The text says that he had two options. Choose God or the fleeting pleasures of sin. He had to choose between temporary pleasures and satisfaction and God. He had to choose between disobedience and obedience. He had to choose between selfishness and God. It's always a matter of choice. Now, I know that this is an issue for many of us. Because we are a culture that is driven by what we feel. Actually, if, if, just look around. Even sometimes the churches, they, they, they want to make you feel something. Because the cultural premise is this. You are what you feel. And you do what you feel. And I want to prove it to you. Two examples, love and identity. How does our culture, and maybe, many, uh, maybe some of you guys describe the definition of love has to do always with emotions, somehow. And listen, love might be emotions, but it has to be more than that. You know, so when I was a youth pastor, I would always ask those these kind of questions to my kids, right? And I would say, well, can you, uh, they would come to me, oh, pastor, I'm so in love. I say, Great. How do you know? Is that I feel something down here. <laughs> you know what the problem is with that? Is that I know that most people here know that that's not what love is, but we function like that many times. That's the problem. It's not a definition problem. It's that we function differently. And if that is true, if we are moved by emotions and that's why we do things, then my wife and my kids will have 20,000 issues with me. Because I got to be completely honest because this is church. Sometimes I don't feel like loving them. I never say to my wife, oh, I love it when you disagree with me. I don't do that. I don't go to my daughter and say, I love how disobedient you are. I don't do that. Let me tell you what I feel sometimes. You could pray for me. Sometimes what I feel is that someone in my house that is not me, Deserve the wrath of God. <laughs> that couldn't be love. That has to be something different. 
And identity is the same thing. The cultural premise is you are what you think you are. You are what you feel you are. And that wouldn't work in my house either. I can't go with my wife and say, you know, I feel that today I'm not going to be your husband. I need my me time. Which, by the way, that only happens in this country. That's a concept that doesn't exist anywhere else but in this country. My me time. You know what my wife says every time I say I need my me time? All right, bro. You want me time? Yeah, let's do me time together as we clean the house. Yeah, let's do me time as you help me around with the girls. See, that's, that's, that's why it's a matter of choice. You don't get to feel who you are. You are who God made you to be. It's a matter of choice. And I think that we all need to grasp that. Because that's what makes the difference between a religious person and a Christian. Dietrich Bonhoeffer used to say that the religious people would say something like this. I want conversion without commitment. I want a change of mind without a change of life. I want the hope of a place in the promised land without the need to leave the Pharaoh's court. It's about choosing. C.S. Lewis, in his famous novel, The Screwtape Letters, it's a senior devil talking about um, to a junior devil, and his advice is as simple as this. It doesn't matter what the person feels, let them feel. It doesn't matter if they go to church, let them go to church. It doesn't matter if they repent, let them repent. If, that conf- if those confessions and those things do not affect, affect their will, they have nothing. At the end of the day, it's just about choice. Here, for you guys, you, you guys okay? You choose and your emotions would follow. You choose, and your emotions must follow. You feel, and it doesn't work. You choose God, and your emotions must follow. We don't worship God because we feel like it. We worship God for who he is. We don't read the Bible because we feel like it. We read the Bible because that's how we know God. You come to church not because you feel like it for goodness sake. You come to church because we encounter God every time we gather together. You choose And everything else must follow. And this is how we deal with fear. We fear God before we fear anything else. And when we fear God by choosing God, every other emotion and feeling and fear loses power. Can we do that? Well, I told you, That it would be crazy to think that the reason why the authors of the book of Hebrews put Moses here was to say, look at Moses, be like Moses. That's not the reason. 
the reason why the author of the book of Hebrews put Moses here is for us to remember and his audience to remember that there was a reason why God saved, picked, chose Moses. And it was because from Moses, the Savior will come. And that when we get Jesus, everything else loses power. And it's crazy. When, we, you, when you look at the similarities between Moses and Jesus, it's just amazing. So Moses was born under a cruel king that wanted to destroy God's people. And Jesus was born under a cruel king that wanted to destroy God's people. That's really interesting. Moses was saved by his parents when he was a baby. Jesus was saved by his parents when he was a baby. Moses spent childhood, his childhood in Egypt. Jesus spent his childhood in Egypt. Moses was not accepted by his people at the beginning. Jesus was not accepted by his people ever. Moses was called to bring freedom to God's people. Jesus was called to bring freedom to God's people. But this is the difference. And this is the part that you must accept and believe in order for you to start having this fear of God. That just that Moses went into the king's palace to become a somebody. But Jesus had to leave his father's palace to become a nobody. Do you know why? Because of you. See, Moses was sent into the desert to encounter God. And Jesus was sent into the desert to encounter the devil. Do you know why? Because of you. See, Jesus was, Moses was sent into Egypt to bring the wrath of God upon the Egyptians. And Jesus went to the cross to take the wrath of God upon himself. Do you know why? Because of you. Moses, in the midst of trouble, cries out to God and God delivers him. And yet Jesus goes into trouble and he cries out to God and he gets nothing. Do you know why? Because of you. See, Moses, when he was afraid, he saw the invisible one and he received peace. And Jesus, when he was afraid, he looked for the invisible, invisible one and he felt completely alone. Why have you forsaken me? Do you know why? Because of you. See, the only way, the only way you overcome the fear of men is when your heart is full of the fear of God. And the only way we are controlled by the fear of God is when your heart is controlled by the greater Moses and what the greater Moses did for you. Amen? Choose. Choose God today. If you are exploring Christianity, choose God today. If you are a Christian, choose God today again. Because we all live in fear. This is part of life. Let's pray. Beautiful Savior, we come and we acknowledge that life is complicated. That we do, in fact, because we live here and we live in this world, we do, in fact, experience fear all the time. There are no superheroes here, Lord. There are no superheroes in the Bible, actually. 
We are all people that experience all kinds of emotions and many times are moved by fears. But my prayer today, Lord, is that by the power of your spirit, you open up our eyes and you open up our hearts and you allow us to believe. To believe in Jesus, the greater Moses, the one that did it all, even though he experienced fear. You allow us, Lord, to repent and come to you and recognize that we have been controlled by the fear of man so many times. Please allow us to see Jesus and his splendor and his beauty. Allow us to see you through Jesus and your power and your mercy to the point that our fear for you controls every other fear. Please make it happen. We pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. Church says.